0: The epistle for this Sunday after the Feast of the Ascension is taken from St. Peter's first epistle. Dearly beloved, be prudent and watch in prayers. But Before all things, have a constant mutual charity among yourselves, <clears throat> for charity covers a multitude of sins, using hospitality one towards another without murmuring, as every man has received grace, ministering the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the words of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the power which God administers, that in all things God may be honored through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 15th chapter of the gospel of St. John. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, When the paraclete comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father, he shall give testimony of me. And you shall give testimony, because you are with me from the beginning. These things have I spoken to you, that you may not be scandalized. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the hour comes that whosoever kills you will think that he does a service to God. And these things will they do to you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the hour shall come, you may remember that I told you. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, we Americans like to get things done. We have a very strong work ethic. And as a result, we often tend to evaluate people and places according to how much money they make or how much time they save, how many things they have built. And of course, these things are not bad of themselves. It is it is very good to have a good work ethic in this life, to be a hard worker. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But but what tends to happen to, to all of us with our fallen human nature is, is that when we're good at something or we're very inclined to something, we, we might have the temptation to isolate that one thing and make it like the only thing that's important say so you have someone who's who's like really good at basketball and and really bad at baseball i mean the, t- the temptation for such a person would be to say that effectively basketball is the only real sport and that base- baseball is stupid and it should not be played at all um so that 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 person can take their their strengths and 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 dominate and what we um might tend to do in, in the spiritual life, in, in what Americans have historically done, is is to take what they're good at, working, and make that the whole focus of the spiritual life. Um, this contrast between the contemplative life and the active life, to isolate that active life and say that pretty much that's the only thing worth pursuing in the spiritual realm. And if you, if you don't do that, if you're not good at that, then effectively you're not holy. This was the the ultimate source for the one heresy that bears our name, uh, Americanism, Americanism described by Pope Leo XIII and condemned by Pope Leo XIII in his encyclical Testum Benevolentiae, where he, he points out that the Americanists make this artificial distinction between active virtues and passive virtues, a distinction that was, that was never made in the past. And they say that the, the active virtues are really the real virtues and, and passive virtues are, are no virtues at all. And th- this mentality that doing is everything more than being led them to despise the religious life. That the religious life somehow constrains you. It pushes you into a corner. It restricts your liberty. And it, if, if you want to get things done, which is like really, really important, then you gotta have as much freedom as possible. So, so we should, um, not see the religious life as, as something, at least the, the contemplative religious life as something desirable or what makes you holy. So Pope Leo XIII obviously condemned this mentality because it goes against the entire tradition of the church. Um, the contemplative life has always been seen as higher in many respects than the act of life, and we can't all of a sudden change that. So I mean, the the problem is not that work is not good. The problem is that work is not the only good. There are other good things besides work. There are other values and, and goals that we need to shoot for besides getting stuff done, accomplishing things. You know, it can be interesting to, to live abroad, to, to live in another country, to be immersed in, a, in another culture. Because it teaches you something about yourself and, and also the place that you come from. Whereas if you're always hanging around with your own people, you, there are things you will just never notice. And I remember the first time I lived abroad when I, I went to France for two months in 2002. It immediately became apparent to me that, that the way that the French people look at the meal is very, very different from the way we as Americans consider the meal. Um, for the French are, are not at all interested in convenience and efficiency when it comes to meals. They want a sit down meal. They want fine food. They, they want fine silverware. They want to talk for hours. They want to have many courses. And, this is not at all our mentality. I think probably the only place possible for the invention of, of fast food is, is our own land. We, we are not interested in having a table. We're not interested in having silverware. We're not interested in having company. We want a sack of food with a drink there, and we want to haul whatever's in that bag and get on with our life so that we can get stuff done because that is the most important thing. It's a question of priorities. It depends on who you are, where you come from, what's more important to you. So I just—why am I mentioning all this? I, I want to apply this to the spiritual life, and perhaps that example of of the meal is is a good one because uh, of this difference between um, the meal is as a. Is, is a just something to be done quickly so that you can get things done as opposed to the meal as an opportunity to really form a relationship with those around you. We are in that time of the year where the apostles have been commanded by our Lord to wait for the Holy Ghost. And what they do is they go into the upper room with Our Lady and with with many others, and they're just there. They're just praying. They're above all, preparing their souls. They have the spouse of the Holy Ghost there to help prepare them for the coming of the Holy Ghost. And during that time, what they're wanting to do is not get something done, but draw closer to God so that when the Holy Ghost comes, they can be proper instruments of God in the work, in that work that they will have to do later on, in which they will do which will necessarily be preceded by them drawing closer to God. So when it comes to the spiritual life, obviously there's an aspect of prayer where it is a work to be done, where we say to ourselves, for instance, I need to say my morning prayers, I need to say my night prayers, I need to pray my rosary, I need to, to do this spiritual reading, I have these certain spiritual targets that I want to hit. And that's very important. And just like I wouldn't despise the work ethic of, of Americans, and, and I praise them for getting so many things done, so too, insofar as, as we set ourselves prayer targets and we see them as things to be done and a work to be accomplished, this is a good thing. I mean, after all, Holy Mother Church herself says to the priest, you have an opus day to do, the work of God that you must accomplish every day. And that is the divine office. The the priest is required to hit those, I don't know what you want to call them, those prayer targets, as it were. He has to pray those eight hours of the office each day. It is a work to be done. But there's another aspect of prayer, and that is prayer as a means to draw closer to God, to develop our relationship with God. Not, Not so much, okay, this is something, this is some task I need to do um, because I'm a practicing Catholic, uh, because I want to get to heaven, wh- whatever motive we may have, but prayer because I want to draw closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to draw closer to Our Lady. I, I want to develop as strong a relationship as possible with them. I want to love them. You know, I mean, perhaps we're, we're praying because we want to avoid hell, Perhaps we're praying because we want to be a practicing Catholic or because we want to obtain things for our families or because this prayer is indulgenced, and I want want the indulgence. All these things are good. I'm not going to despise them. I don't want to eliminate them. They are good supernatural motives. But what I'm saying is we we must not fall into that activist, Americanist trap in in the order of prayer Where we only see prayer as a work to be accomplished. And we simply rest there. And we have this list with, with checkboxes and we, we check, check off the prayers that we've said and we said, okay, did my Catholic prayers today. And now, you know, I've, I've done fulfilled my duty before God where prayer is only a duty and nothing more than that. And then we go and we call that holiness. When it comes to the prayers that the church gives us to pray, it's interesting to note that some of them are very goal-oriented. Some of them are very much wanting to accomplish some work. They, they, they have a target, um, that some, some sort of thing that they want done and that they ask for. Often the collects, the secrets in the post-communions of, of the masses are like that. Let me just read you today's secret to give an example. It says, May this immaculate sacrifice purify us, O Lord, and impart to our souls the vigor of supernatural grace. Lord, I want grace. I need grace. Please give me grace. I'm saying this prayer so you can give me grace. And after I perform this prayer, I'm expecting to get something. I'm expecting to get this grace from you. But there are other prayers that seem to have no goal. They are said for their own sakes. They're not looking to, as they say, accomplish a work or, or accomplish some end that's outside of the prayer. These are the prayers where, where we, just, we just want to be with God. We just want to tell him that we adore him. We admire him. We love him. We thank him for what he is. And those are the sorts of prayers that, that I'm talking about where you're not seeing the prayer as a duty to be performed. You're seeing the prayer as a means for you to deepen your relationship with God. The Gloria that we pray at Mass that is an example of this. We praise you. We bless you. We adore you. We glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. And that's it. And that's it. You alone are holy. You alone are most high. And that's it. There's no work to be accomplished. We are just dwelling with God. The Psalms themselves are, are full of these prayers that are just simply being with God. Just, the psalmist just wants to be with God, to praise him. I want to bless you at all times. Psalm, Psalm 33 they're not so much looking to get that supernatural work done and to say, I've checked off my boxes and now I'm, I'm good with God, I'm on my way to heaven, but just to open the heart to God and draw close to him. So how do we tell if we're a workaholic at prayer or not? If if we're not just doing the prayers in order to do them and, and, and be good with God, but also there is a relationship that we're forming with God. We are loving God. We are drawing close to him. So I've got a little examination of conscience that I think would be good for for us to ask ourselves these these questions, um, just to evaluate our own prayer life, to see if if we're just performing perfunctory duties or if we are actually, at least sometimes, I'm not saying all the time because we can't have that, highest intention all the time. But at least sometimes we should have that intention. How do we tell? First of all, do you pray just using formulas, just using prayers that are written down that, that you simply recite? Or do you actually talk to our Lord and our Lady? Do you actually speak to them from your heart, from, from time to time? Secondly, do you just pray when others are praying? Do you just pray because of the sort of the, the world you live in, the context you live in? Or do you yourself spontaneously move yourself to, to prayer? Do you seek out prayer of your own accord? Number three, do you only pray when you've decided to pray? Like you've scheduled your prayer and you decided this is when I'm, I'm going to pray and that's, that's when I pray. Or are there times when you are, are are in a state of mind, you're in a situation or whatever, and you say to yourself, I need to pray. I need to pray because of the of the state of my soul, or because of this situation, I need to lift my heart up to God. Perhaps it's it's just for a few seconds, or perhaps it's it's a more extended time where you say, This is this is a situation where I really need to to stop and say some prayers. And then lastly, do you tell our Lord that you love him? Do you tell our Lady that you love her? Are, are there sincere affections in your heart for our Lord and our Lady? Um, like when we pray the Gloria, is, is that really you? Where you say with, with all your heart, I glorify you. I adore you. I admire you. I give you thanks just because you are. Who you are, because you are God, and I am your creature. Can you say, in other words, that your sentiments in prayer are real, that it is heartfelt, that, that it's not just some formula that you're reciting, but it really represents your own dispositions? In the end, my dear faithful, our whole purpose on this earth, the whole reason for which we are made is to unite ourselves with God. That, that is the whole thing. And to do that, we, we have to make sure that we're not just praying in order to accomplish a work. We must do that work. We must pray no matter what, no matter what the dispositions of our soul are. But we also have to watch in prayers. As St. Peter tells us today in the epistle, as the apostles and Our Lady are doing during these nine days, we have to direct our heart towards God when we pray. We have to keep a careful watch on the pulse of our heart. What are our real dispositions when we pray to God? So during these nine days between the Ascension and Pentecost, try to prepare your hearts for that enkindling of the divine love when the Holy Ghost comes by really dwelling with God when you pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.